This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game and upping the talent as far as guests go, by bringing Mr. Brent Kelly in. What's going on, Brent? Hey, it's good to talk to both of you guys. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We were just talking about the uh, the weather in Florida and Illinois and how similar it seems to be today. But before that, I told Kyle I was going to wait and record my comments about the alarm company. Um, so everybody I'm so excited. My pain. So... No, you know, number one, Kyle, no surprise when it requires um, paperwork or administrative things. Many times I have to be asked two or three times, even for the most simple tasks. Kyle Correct. will have to throw me under the bus for that. And I take sure. full responsibility for it. I will co-sign that. Yes. Yes. So starting on Thanksgiving, <laughs> this is how long this has been going on. At three o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from the alarm monitoring company letting me know that the backup battery for the alarm in the Valrico office was not functioning properly. Okay. Now, my first question was somebody break into the building. Why are you telling me this at three o'clock in the morning? Right. Like this not appropriate time for me to get. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. They called you at three in the morning. Is that what yes. you said? Yes, absolutely. That's so, amazing. I'm thinking this is a one shot deal. I came up to the office, um, you know, the day after Thanksgiving, because we were out of town, shut the alarm off. It was rapidly beeping in a way that I'd never heard it before. Shut it off, went away. That same next morning, three o'clock in the morning, I get another phone call. Next morning, three o'clock in the morning, another phone call. So I'm like, you know what? Where are they stationed? Like Sri Lanka or something? Like, I, I decided I'm shutting the ringer off on my phone. End of story. Then, then it won't bother me. Rather than just figuring out where this battery is, replacing it, and all of the other things, I'm just like, eh, shut the ringer off on my phone. Mm-hmm. Well, somehow they had my wife's number. Excellent. So when it when when I wouldn't answer it, it was immediately now rolling over to her at three o'clock in the morning, and she's not in town. She's still visiting her family, so she's getting a call, and so which means she's calling me. My my ringer's off. And now she's got her serious problem because she's wondering if I got like shot or something coming over to an office that was broken in. So anyhow, um, all that to say, they came and fixed it today. 
we are almost like, a month after the origination of this issue. <laughs> that's that's obnoxious. I, I I don't understand the the calling at in, at three in the morning. I mean, like like why? I, I mean, I I'm sure you lost was, your mind. I was told that it it had, was an automated message, and I said, as a gentleman who has some familiarity with automation, you can set the time. <laughs> Right. So anyhow, that's my alarm story. Internet up and down all day at the office. I've literally been able to do nothing almost all morning. I'm I'm almost positive that mine's going to cut out here in about five minutes. Well, it definitely will now. So anyhow, enough about alarms. Brent, for those of the people listening to this who don't know who you are, why don't you give them a quick rundown of your backstory and kind of where you're at today, because most of the people we have on are agency owners and your role is a little bit different. And actually I'm excited to talk to you because um, I think that you're doing a lot of good stuff. And I mean, just the little bit that you and I got to talk at Brainshare in St. Pete last year, um, you know, you, you and I think a lot the same about a lot of things, which automatically lumps Kyle into that too, for the most things, except football teams. Well, yeah, I had a comment on a shirt. I'm a, I'm a fighting Illini, so it's a it's a struggle. I wish, I wish we would have been able to play you a couple of weeks ago. It would have helped us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it wouldn't have helped us as much. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Well, uh, again, it's it's good to be. It's great to be on on the Power Producers because I, I I respect both of you. And uh, in fact, uh, David, I was talking this morning uh, to Roger Sitkins, which uh, I'm the VP at the Sitkins Group, and Roger's been doing. Um, agency consulting for 40 years now. So it's wow. been a while, 40 years, kind of like a legend in the industry right out there and still going strong and um, love to hear him speak and talk and been a great mentor of mine, but he has your book. David loves your book. Oh, geez. Um, that's scary. No, he said, it's, it's fantastic. And I said, yeah, I'm going to be talking. He said, that's fantastic. So don't say anything stupid. So that's my, <laughs> I, can't, I can't say anything stupid. But. You're in no danger there. Wow. I will definitely outplay you on that. I am fairly certain you will definitely come across as the smartest guy on this podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah, You're yeah. safe. <laughs> it, 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 it all varies. Depends how much time you give me. So, uh, <laughs> but, but I, uh, I, I, I've been around the insurance business ever since I, I got out of the university of Illinois. That's where I started. I started in commercial lines production. Um, I was a 22 year old kid. I'll call myself doing commercial lines, didn't know anything, didn't know how to spell insurance, but I spent 15 years in production. And then um, 2015 went out on my own uh, to start my own speaking training company. And um, you know what I learned uh, very quickly is that retention, you know, the renewal process, the renewals in this business are pretty darn awesome. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And I I knew that and I thought I was ready. I'm like, man, you got to keep Got rebuild and start from scratch, but it was a something I've been passionate about, wanted to do. People ask why'd you leave? It's because I I want I followed my heart. But honestly, I mean that's it's cliche, but it's what I did. I want to get out and speak and train and do things at a different level. And how many years ago was that? So I I left the end of 2014. Uh, the agency I was at. Yeah. So listen, man, we're connected on Facebook. You got a lot of kids. That was a gutsy move. Oh yeah, it was it was it was a lot of discussion. I mean, I think at that time I had uh, I think I just had four kids. Now we have five. Um, so, but it was uh, you know it was one of those okay, how we're going to do this, and it's just one of those where even you know my wife came to me and said you know we had a lot of discussions and said listen, I, I can hear it in your heart and your voice of what you want to do. You have this goal and mission that you want to do you know and how you want to impact this this you know industry differently. Go do it. Um, and so I, I, you know, I started that process and I was doing some speaking and training, but, um, to get where I'm at today, um, connected with Roger Sitkins would have been really early 2017. 
um, is when we, we started talking and a lot of conversation and went to his producer camps, attended just to kind of listen and lean in. Although he brought me up um, the summer of 2017 in one of the camps and I was getting interviewed. I just didn't know it. Uh, it was how can you speak and present in front of a group of, of producers and I started with him and the group in 2017 and the rest is history. So now I've been doing that, had three and a half years of working with agencies. We do uh, you know, work a lot with agencies holistically. We also do different individual camps and uh, just launched something yesterday live, which is uh, an all-inclusive model. So if I get time to spout about that, I will. Uh, you know what? I did see that. I think if, if I'm not mistaken, that's the deal that Chris Paradiso was pumping out mm-hmm. over social as well. That's cool, man. I, I did look at look at what you guys were doing. So yeah, you're welcome to spout off about it as much as you want. But I do want to go back to one thing you said. And I think this is interesting because I don't know, like, I I think about a lot of stuff. I visualize a lot of stuff. I dream about a lot of stuff. So for me to want to follow my heart is like a daily activity, right? And so um, it's interesting because when I started Florida Risk, I mean, I, I was leaving the industry, period. Four years ago in, in 2016, I was leaving the industry. I had been beaten down. Um, I was I was tried to put into a, a I was being put into a box that I didn't fit into. And I was just disgusted. I was ready to get out of insurance and do something that would allow me to be creative. And I had I had job offers from Disney, Amazon and Publix, all three in a marketing capacity. And I had my pick of three really good jobs and was getting ready to pull the trigger. And my wife said, what the heck are you thinking, man? What are you doing? Like, why, why do you want to go do that? All you've done for the last you know decade is complain about what you would do if you could do what you wanted. Go do that. You know, you don't have anything to worry about. And, and so for me, it was an interesting study of myself because the male ego wants us to be the provider. We want to be the, the one that's, you know, hunting, killing, dragging it back so our family can eat and all of that stuff. But we also want to make sure that our family is secure and that we're able to do that. And so we become risk averse in what it is that we're going to do with our career when you have, you know, nice salaries that are out there. She just said, look, you have 100% of my support. You have 100% of my buy-in. I want you to do this. I know what you're capable of. I know you can be successful doing it. So just go do it. Start an agency. 10 minutes later, I was already filed with the state of Florida (laughs) for my license, for my LLC, and all of that. But, But I say that because I think that for a lot of us, and I don't want this to come out because where it is in my head and my heart, this is not a sexist or politically incorrect statement. I think it's, it's biblical that men are the head of the household, right? Mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, that's where we want to operate. That's where our mind is. And for me to sit there and allow my wife to say, look, it's going to be all right. I believe in you. I trust you. Sometimes it's something that's that simple. The one person you've agreed to spend the rest of your life with saying, you have my support, my buy-in, even though we assume it is all it takes to push you over the edge. So I give her 100% credit for anything that I've accomplished in the last four years, because if she wouldn't have been able to give me that reassurance, I probably would be miserable working for somebody else again. Yeah. Well, I, that's that's a great story. And it, I mean, it just it, it hits home to me too, when you say that, because it, it does require a team in that capacity. And you know, I, I can think back to that um, on a couple of things. You know, one of the things that hit me 
that I don't know that she said this, but it's the way that I took it was basically, you know, there's always risk involved in that. And you just said that, you know, I mean, here we are in the, the, the insurance is the risk world, right? But the idea, it was almost like the risk of not doing it became worse than the risk of doing it. You know, it was like, if you don't do this within your heart, it's going to tear you apart, right? And It's always going to be there, like Chinese water torture, right? You're always going to hear that, that voice in the back of your head saying, yeah, you should have gone and done your thing that you wanted to do. You should have done mm-hmm. it. Right, right. And there's um, – have you guys ever heard of the uh, the definition or expression of what hell on earth is, that phrase? I've heard the phrase. I don't know right. the definition. I mean, well, maybe and maybe maybe there's varieties of it. But I, I heard this, and this didn't apply directly to this, but I, I think about all the time is you get to the end of your life and you meet the person that you could have become. And, and that was always like, oh, like, I don't want to look back and go, you know, I could have, I should have done this. Like, go give it a shot. Believe in yourself and the value you provide. Now, that doesn't mean it's an easy ticket. <laughs> That's for sure. And you know it better than anybody. It's, there's been some really tough weeks and months where it's like, what did you do? Um, and that's the challenge of it. But you got to have that support. You know, I, I make the comment all the time, I'd rather die with memories than with dreams, right? And I think it's the same thing, just framed in a different way. But I was actually just on a call with an agency owner in Texas that um, is going through a, a little bit of a rough patch right now. And I, I just told him, I said, look, man, the older I get, the more my perspective changes. And and I, that sounds like it's a logical thing, but I'm telling you, like, I'm really having a lot of mental challenges right now as I get older, because I realize I don't have that much longer left to live. You know, I'm 47 right now. I'm over halfway through my life. And, you know, that, I mean, I hope I'm over halfway through my life. I would be a decrepit 94. But, you know, I I look at it this that way because I want to make sure that I'm getting everything out of every single day that I have, where I used to take that time for granted my oldest son is now 18. I used I took all that time for granted. That changes the way that I think. And the comment that I made to Dale when I was talking to him is you don't know how much of an impact you've had or what kind of a life you've lived. And you may never know that, but it's evident by the number of people who show up at your funeral. Mm. Okay? And that's a morbid thing to think about, but if every one of us lived every day striving to have our funeral be a sellout, I think the world would be a lot better place. Boy, that's I, that, that thinking is powerful in different ways. I've had that, but I think when you, you, you're right, you don't know the impact. We, we don't know our impact, but we can live each day trying to make an impact. Right. I mean, I think that's, that's part of it. And it's just crazy to get in the business of life. And, you know, I mentioned my kiddos. That's when you said at 18, I mean, my oldest daughter's 17. I mean, she just put together her senior classes for next year. And we're talking college. And I'm like, you know, like every parent says, I know. It's like, where did the time go? I can't mm-hmm. believe it. And the flip of it, our family spread. So my youngest is three. And oh, wow. so it does a couple things. I look at my three-year-old differently today than I would have looked at my oldest. Because when my first was three, I had forever. And now I look at it and go, I wonder how many more cuddles and snuggles I get like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you go, you go from every, and I've actually had this exact same thought pattern. You go from everything being the first time to everything being the last time. <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way, but you're right. This is the last time. This will be the last kindergarten. This will be the last whatever. And, um, you know, 
and part of it is, hey, you're ready to move on to different stages. You know, I, there's some certain parts of me that I'm, I, you know, I've done the three-year-old thing a long time, but I don't want to not appreciate it. So I think that's very powerful, David, you said that. It's interesting. I've got a little bit of spread on my family too. <laughs> I got, I don't know that it's, it, I mean, you're, you're actually, it's not that much different than yours, but my oldest is 18. I have 18, 14, nine, and now seven. But the difference for me is, 18, 14, and nine are all boys, and seven is the girl. So <laughs> it's crazy because everybody tells you, oh, that little girl is going to have you wrapped around your fing- her finger and all of this. And truth be told, she's not. She doesn't have me wrapped around her finger. Um, but it's a, just a completely different I, – I just can't even – you can't even describe the difference between raising a boy – and raising a girl. My boys, as long as they're not dead at the end of the day, I'm good. Just, you know, we'll hose you off out back, line up, put your hands against the wall, scrub down, go to bed. With her, it's a whole different animal. But I heard somebody a long time ago say, you have little boys to to uh, take care of them. You have little girls to take care of you. Okay. And, and I can see that. And so hmm. of all of my kids – and, and, and look, this is not, I'm not going to say something stupid. I love all of my kids equally. And until you have multiple kids, you don't understand that. It's just different. Mm-hmm. It's it's a completely different thing. Every morning is started out with cuddles. Every evening is finished with cuddles. It's, daddy, what do you think about this? Daddy, let me rub your back. Daddy, this. And I'm just like, this is awesome. Like I, I didn't want to be a little girl's dad. I didn't want to do that. I, you know, I was an athlete growing up. I wanted, you know, to have boys so that we could play ball in the yard. We could go hunting. We could do this. We could do that. I wouldn't trade her for anything, man. She is, she, I have learned more from having a little girl than anything. Is it anything in my professional experience, personal life, anything having Caroline has taught me more in seven years than I've learned in 47. Yeah. Hmm. Amen to that. Of course, I'm a little flip because I had three girls first and the boy. Um, so I'm one of those. I wanted boys, too. And I had these girls. By the time I had the boy, David, I'm like, what do I do with a boy? Yeah. Um, it's know. funny. We were we were in church one Sunday and there was a um, there was a group in front of us, a, a group. It was a family, but it could have been a group <laughs> because there were like 10 of them. Right. Yeah. And it was like the massive spread. There were, is a, a mother and a father on the bookends. And then it started with what appeared to be 17-year-old, 18-year-old girl. And it went all the way down. And the youngest was a boy. And I elbowed my wife. I said, that's the one they were trying for the other nine times. <laughs> Jeez. That's right. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fine. Well, only I'll say with my daughters, I think my, my kiddos are great. I mean, every parent would say that. But they're, they're good kids. And uh, But now I've got two teenage daughters in the house. And so now I feel like I'm an emotional manager. That's my one of my jobs, the girls. That's changed. It's like, you know, I learned with the very first girl, uh, with my oldest, when she got to be about 11, 12, and like everything was a big deal and she was crying about everything. I just kept saying, why are you crying? I don't, why are you crying? And I realized that wasn't a very good first question to ask. So I've I've tailored that. But now I'm just used to it. I'm like, yeah, somebody's upset about something. So whatever. Yep. There you go. <laughs> well, listen, why don't you talk a little bit? I mean, because to me, it sounds like, and, and you can obviously correct me if I'm wrong, um, it sounds to me like you got the best of both worlds at this point, right? With your with your job. I mean, you're, you're doing the teaching and the consulting yeah. and the coaching that is what you were passionate about and, yeah. and your heart led you to do, but you're doing it with a guy yeah. I don't know that you can find anybody that would be a better mentor than Roger Sitkins, who's been doing it for 40 years. 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, as I was you know, stumbling, fumbling, sort of half growing my own little thing, which really I was doing a lot of speaking. I had some one-on-one clients. I was doing some coaching. I was getting by them. Like, what's what's it going to look like? And, um, you know, first of all, I was just honored when when Roger reached out and we started having conversations. And, you know, we had you know several conversations over dinner. And a lot of it was the idea to realize, wow, I could do this myself and struggle and go through trial and error, right? Which is a, is a learning experience for sure. Or I could now be surrounded by a team and certainly Roger who has been through this many times before. And, you know, he'd be the first to say, I want to help accelerate your learning. And I'm, you know, very transparent in the fact that I've had conversations, not just with Roger, but agency leaders, carrier people, whatever, influences in the industry that I wouldn't have had at least at that pace, right? At that accelerated level. And it's taking me to a different place because it's challenged me too. I've been in rooms where I'm like, why am I in this room? You know, we all had that, that imposter. Mm-hmm. How, how am I here? Why am I here? Who am I to do this? And you go through that and you realize, first of all, people are people, right? This is the same thing with like writing commercial clients. You're like, it's a large client. It's still a person, right? But it's funny, man, because I tell people, you know, I I was in a very, um, I don't know what, prim and proper, I guess, you know, white starch shirt, rep, you know, Brooks Brothers tie. You could only wear muted color suits. When I first started in the industry and I went into a meeting and I made some sort of a Tommy boy reference and my, the guy that I worked with literally kicked me under the table for doing it. And we get out to the car and said, what the heck are you thinking? That could have cost us the deal. And I'll never forget. I looked at him and said, do you not think that CFOs watch Tommy boy too? Right. <laughs> right, And that's the problem. You know, we get right. in such a mental block that we're talking to people we have no business talking to. It's even in the intro to this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, quit sitting out there and, and wondering, thinking you don't belong. The prospects already validated your existence by agreeing oh. to spend an hour with you. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. If they take the meeting, you belong there. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's up to you to get it through your own head that you belong there. But we yep. get in our own way more than other people do. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, and, and a big part of even our programs around this idea of professional fitness. And well, one of the things of being a professional is the fact that you've earned the right to be there. I mean, just what you just said. And so often we go there and it's kind of like the prospect or future ideal clients who call us up here and we're kind of down here like, thank you so much. And maybe sort of kind of like, no, you're a professional. Speak, ask questions like a professional, and you'll be treated like a professional. But so often there's that, again, the imposter syndrome, whatever you want to call it. And I think that's what I see with producers a lot, too. And what's always fun for me, I'm sure you have this as well, is that when you get a, a producer that's in kind of a head trash syndrome or a mindset where I'm just this or I'm just that or I'll, I'll always be that, and they sit in a room or have a conversation with someone who's been very successful, at least according to what they would think, and they realize, wait a second. This person's pretty much like me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. They're doing a few things different. And one of them is they have this. They have a mindset that's different. They believe in what they're doing. They're not going to be perfect, but they believe in it. And I'm, you know, you've heard this before. Beliefs drive your behavior. And, and that's where it starts to me. I mean, I think it's one of the things that is powerful to me. And we just talked about this yesterday. You mentioned that the workshop that I did was just talking about the fact that there's a lot of really great information out there. Um, too much, probably but there's not enough transformation. And, and I think there's a, a, a big difference there. And transformation starts in the mindset and you've got to do things to build the confidence to do that, hang around people, that you be in an environment with that. And then you got to start to do the things that are going to build your skills because it's like an athlete. 
if you don't practice, you're going to show up at the game and know you didn't practice. Right? Mm-hmm. You may not tell people that, but somewhere in your mind, you're going, I wasn't as ready as I should be. And when it's the fourth quarter, somewhere deep down in your gut, you're going to go, ah, that's why we're going to lose this game. And you can't have that. Yeah, it'd be like me putting on the old tank top and Detroit Pistons short shorts and having to hit a game-winning free throw right now, and I haven't shot free throws in 25 years, right? Your stroke is garbage, dude. It doesn't. It used to be a day when it didn't even matter, man. Because I would just you'd be reading the message I wrote to you on the bottom of my shoes. But no, I mean, I, I agree with you. And, and I mean, the producer mindset many times is very, very fragile, right? In terms of, you know, we do have egos. You have to have, sure. you got to be wired that way. And you don't have to be a jerk about it. But, you know, you have to you have to be willing to go out and compete. You have to have an edge on you. It's not like the, the nice guy does not, you can be a nice guy and be a competitor, right? It's not that the nice guy always loses or any of that. You just have to check him at the door sometimes. When you're getting down in, in dirt, you have to get down and in, in scrap to bring an account in. I almost said dirty, but we don't play dirty. <laughs> you know, but if you're gonna if you're gonna go scrap for an account, you know you're not you're not gonna do that with the the warm and, and fuzzies all the time. You have to have your a game. And you know you're right, man. You, sharpen the saw, whatever cliche you want to use about it. You have to make yourself better. You have to do those daily activities. I was just on a podcast that dropped this morning for Better Agency. Nick and Preston had me on. And I will tell you, in my own opinion, that is probably the single best podcast I've ever been a part of, including my own, because the questions that were asked were raw and more real than a lot of what what happens in, in the whole goal was, you know, Nick wanted to find out why I'm wired the way that I'm wired. And I think he found out that he didn't find out, you know, we, we didn't really solve that riddle, but through the course of conversation, you know, you start thinking. And one of the questions that they asked me that I would give as advice to any producer, they said, how, how is it that you've been able to do the things that you've done? How, what, what is different about your approach? And I said, my approach is really simple. I started with the end in mind and worked my way back. That's where I think the, the obstacles start. You don't have people out there that either they're not encouraged to, they're not allowed to, or they've never done it before. But you think with the end, the the first two people that I engaged when I launched my agency were my CFO and a certified exit planner. That's it. Mm -hmm. For another 18 months, I didn't have anybody else but me and those two individuals. And I wanted the exit planner because I needed to have a definitive goal that I was working towards. Mm -hmm. Tell me my number. What's that going to be worth for me? Now I can back into that. No different than if I'm if I'm working with a new producer. Creating a business plan, right? Yeah. How much money do you want to make? Tell me what's your what do you want your salary to be? Okay, great. What? What's the average account size you want to call on? And then you start backing in and doing the math to figure out, and you can break it all the way down. And here's how many mail um, calls I need to I make, need to send yeah. out, mm-hmm. phone calls I need to I mean, Kyle's been through this exercise, all of this stuff. And if you start with the end in mind, it makes it much easier to craft the strategy to get there than if you're even looking, like, even if you're just doing your business plan once a year, I think that's not enough foresight. I think you need to look at your five and your 10 year plan. You don't need to have it in as much detail, but you need to be able to know what you're, where you want to go there in order to make this year the most successful. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we just, just to echo that, that's such a great point is that uh, we actually have, it's very simplistic. I mean, most things that we do are simplistic, but yet don't get done by most people. Like changing um, the battery and alarm. Right. <laughs> yeah. Something, something similar to that. Something that's, oh yeah, right. But, but the idea of like, you know, does your, and I think this initially came from Andy Stanley, but you know, does your current direction match your destination? And it seems pretty simple, but if you actually look and like gauge it, like, oh, I want to be here. And most people don't even know, right? To your point, they haven't even thought about it. But does it actually match? Am I on the right path? And, um, you know, we look at, at our programs, I mean, just holistically about professional fitness, you know, like physical fitness. You got to train all those kind of things. Well, the first part of that is clarity. If I ask most producers, and I'm sure you're the same thing, or agency leaders, you know, where are you today? Where do you want to go? And how are you going to get there? They would struggle with that question, those mm-hmm. three questions. They really would. They go, well, I kind of sort of think I might, you know, whatever, a lot of sort of shoulda, couldas. And without that, like you said, Dave, without having that clarity, you, you're you're not going to be very consistent because you're going to fall off and go, oh, well, yeah, I didn't really want that or that wasn't a big deal to me. Um, but I love the idea of starting with the end in mind. I mean, I think that's that's part of the Stephen Covey book, too. Right. Uh, but but it's so important with that. And the last part to me is that when you say, hey, listen, I've got better clarity on who I am and where I want to go, I know there's a very few things that I have to do consistently. That's another thing that we run into is that most producers, and I'm raising my own hand here, entrepreneurs, we're really great starters. We always have a new idea, but we're terrible finishers, right? Because it gets boring, it gets monotonous. It's sidetracked, yeah. Yeah, it's like I get distracted, all that stuff that happens out there. Mm -hmm. But if I can say, listen, I don't have to do all this stuff, but what are the two or three things that I must be consistent in? Even if I don't feel like it, I have to act my way into that feeling. What are they? And am I going to, the last part is the commitment. And that's why you got to surround yourself with people, whether it's coaches, peers, mentors, whatever, and say, listen, here's, wh- here's where I'm going to go. Here are the few things I'm going to do. I need you to hold my feet to the fire because without it, I promise you, I'm going to screw up and I'm going to get off and I'm make excuses for myself because guess what I am? I'm a human being <laughs> and I've been there many times. And so it's like, you've got to have those things together. Well, in the same thing, in the same um, same breath, I would say, be okay with them holding your feet to the fire too. Don't ask for it, and then gripe when they do it, right? And or not be responsive. I think that that's a huge a huge issue. I mean, I've said this on a couple of podcasts, but I think one of the issues that agency owners have today, especially as the old guard is changing over to the next generation, is. They need to um, they need to learn to abandon control and embrace collaboration because yep. you're so many times we have run things the way you know oh that's the way we've always done it that's yeah. you know whatever and we're not taking the time to hear what the next generation what the backfill of the agency thinks how they would approach it and I I do my best to listen to all kinds of points of view. But we, you know, some of them might seem ludicrous at first, but guess what, man? Everything seems ludicrous at first, you know, for the most part, like Mm -hmm. think about the internet, how many, whoever the, when Al Gore invented the internet and uh, was giving his first conversation, you know, his Uh, first uh, lecture about it, people probably looked at him like he was nuts, right? I mean, but think about that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the internet was nowhere to be found. If we would have thought that today we would be sitting here having a video recording with me in one part of Tampa, Kyle in another part, mm-hmm. you in Illinois, and then you know ten thousand plus people a month listening to it, this, podcast. your head would explode. Yeah, it's not even. But I mean, in Cass, Cass is the one who who you know nails it when he talks about 
the iPhone or the Android and the fact that we went from having no cell phone to a flip phone to having a flip phone and an iPod. And all of that was just sort of moving the needle. But the real transformation happened when all of your music and everything was put into a single device that you could carry around in your pocket. And we were joking about this yesterday. I don't even know if they make iPods and MP3 players anymore. I've not, I've not even seen it because I don't need anything other than my phone yeah. to go. They're, they're on the shelf right next to the Sony Walkman. <laughs> there you go. There you go. But I mean, I, I agree with that. So when you go in and you engage, what, what are some of the top things that you see with, I mean, I don't want you giving away Sitkin secret sauce because you know, that, that doesn't work. But I mean, um, I know there's some things that you can share as far as low hanging fruit that agencies or agents should be looking at or doing right now that you see consistently across the board. Cause I know that I see it. I know when I'm talking to different people from all over the country, there are, there's three to five things that I know I'm going to hear at least 75% of them every single time I talk to somebody. Yeah. Well, I mean, there, again, I could share lots of things. I'm trying to think, you know, there's, there's kind of the, the sales aspect for an agency, but then I just think holistically and what you just said, um, it, it really, it struck me because this idea that uh, this collaboration and the change in leadership and how we have to view things and, you know, something I always believe in is that we don't have to agree with everything, nor should we. In fact, we should have some really hard conversations as a team about, you know, the things that we want to do, where we want to go. Because I, I do believe, too, that uh, people, producers, anybody, team members of an agency, they don't want to just do something anymore. I mean, that's 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 hard. Ah, let's go do something. Go make some money. They really do want to be part of something. And we think it's cliche, but it's true. What, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Um, so a part of that to me is, first of all, it's not just about agreement, but it's got to be about alignment. And we've got to understand that we're not going to agree. We can fight in the back office or whatever, but we come out together as an agency leadership where I see a problem, no different than a mom and dad uh, having two different sets of rules. We have to align uh, mm-hmm. from an agency perspective. If, if we don't, we're dead and, and we're pulled in all these different directions. And obviously we see all the time. I mean, there's tug of wars between service and leadership. There's a tug of war between leadership and sales. There's a huge tug of war. If you talk about something very simplistically, simplicity, low hanging fruit, is that sales and service in most agencies not only don't communicate well, they just don't communicate. And mm-hmm. it's huge. And we're trying to get producers to go produce. And that's got their own habits and things we have to do. Yet, in many cases, to get to produce, we've got to have alignment with the service team. And we're not having those authentic conversations. We're not talking about it. You know, one of the things I say is that uh, we, we should have the same goals. Now, you know, again, they're generalized. But the same goal, I would say, we'd agree upon is, retain and obtain our ideal clients, right? That should be a goal between sales and service. Duh. Mm -hmm. But we've got different roles and we've got to be clear about that so that we can achieve things together. And one of the biggest things I see with agencies is there's just constant friction. Nonstop, man. I'll tell you how I solved the problem. It's a culture thing. Everybody has a path to equity in my company. I don't care if you're sales or service, every single one of you, if you meet metrics, you have a chance to be a financial equity partner in the firm. Mm. Now you're forced to think like a business owner. The problem is that people who sit in my chair can't wrap their head around giving away a piece of the pie. Mm. They don't think that way. The problem is other people do. Every successful agency that I've ever worked at, um, in which is two, (laughs) But I mean, of the places I've been in the ones that I've been exposed to, those agencies give their production staff equity. Okay, (laughs) nobody's ever offered it that I'm aware of to the service people, too. I mean, I'm sure there's some out there with ESOP or whatever else. 
But even when I was, even back in the day when I was um, at, a, at a large agency here in Tampa, that's that's the number one rift. Sales thought they were the most important employees of the organization because they were out making it rain, bringing the revenue in. Service automatically had animosity against production because they're like, I'm the one that's keeping it here. Anybody can go out and kill it and bring it back. I got to figure out how to keep it on the books and make you look good and blah, 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 blah. As a producer, I wasn't going to put up with that. So again, here I am, young guy. You know, I was very confident in myself with producing business. So there was a disposition there right out of the gate that I was going to be like everybody else. What I did was I made it a point to schedule, and this is a manual process in Outlook back then, but I made sure I scheduled the time for me to go in and have one-on-one, just quick five minutes, build the relationship. Number one, hey, I want to let you know, thank you so much. We just got through a couple of rough renewals, a lot of work. I wanted you to know I appreciate what you're doing, and it really means a lot to me that you're the one that's on my team helping me keep this stuff in. It's, It's not easy for me to go out and bring it in, and it's not any easier for you to do that. So if you're a producer and you're not doing that to build that relationship, you're screwing the pooch right out of the box. Yeah. Number two, quarterly, I would take anybody that was responsible for my book and we would go have a nice lunch at Capitol Grill because it was across the street or whatever else. Just again, as an outward expression to thank them for everything they were doing. Now, there are a lot of people who say, well, that's what they get paid to do. That's fine. You know, <laughs> If that's, if that's the hard line you want to take about all of us only do what you get paid to do and don't show appreciation or respect or whatever else, we're probably not going to be able to be friends, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> you're not somebody I would hang out with. Yeah. But, you know, you need to let your, your team know that. But it, the team needs to do that with each other, too. And that comes from correct leadership and the ability to to foster a culture of appreciation like that. But for me... I got rid of the financial issues right out of the box and said, no, everybody has a chance to be equity holder in the agency, work with the exit planner to make sure that was put into our plans. And as a result, that's fine. Well, I mean, yeah, you bring up the path to equity and and we talk a lot about how insurance agents and agency owners want to be viewed in the same light as attorneys, you know, accountants. Do they not have partners that have worked their way up and, you know, gain a piece of equity of the company? Every single one of them does. Exactly. So it's, I mean, I think a lot of times um, it, it seems more and more as I delve into this, that in this industry, there's a lot of closed mindedness and, and, you know, not willing, not willingness to progress and, and, and be more forward thinking. And I think that's got to change for people to really, you know, um, flourish. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's, it is. I think you guys are both spot on. It's hard to let go. And I, I just, it hit me as you were, um, as you're saying that, a term that I have used in my own personal experience, a lot with the service team members in particular, is something I call the dishwasher syndrome. Uh, I spent a few years as a dishwasher in a buffet. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, like, it's the worst dishwasher. Oh, job. It was, <laughs> so you show up, you know, and, you, and it's one of those things. But you know, the, the idea of mentality behind it was pretty simple. Like, let's say a huge group of 20 people walk in. Well, the, the owners are really happy. In fact, in many cases, I know it's a buffet, but the server, the uh, you know, the 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 servers are, are fairly happy. They're going to get a yeah. bigger tip, right? right? The only person that gets screwed is me, 100%. because all I, all I have is more work to do, and I get paid the same. Yep, and I see that a lot with agencies with service. In fact, in some cases, and you just mentioned it. Producers write a, a piece of business, and the service team is actually irritated to some mm-hmm. degree. 
because now I got more work to do, right? Because they got no skin of the game. And there's not, you know, so it's this idea that we've got to be a results-based agency. I just had a call this week with one of our, our agency members about this, about how can we better incentivize the service team, right? In different ways that they get a piece of that pie. So there's excitement. Now, it doesn't mean they're a salesperson, but they have a huge, you know, a huge impact, as we all know, on the lifeblood of that account, how long it's going to last, the depth of relationship, and it goes back, and you, you said these too. I mean, are we doing a good job appreciating each other? Are we truly respecting and building rapport with each other? And one of the things we talk about, one of the pillars of Sitkins is high-performance teams. Um, we can have high-maintenance teams or high-performance teams. Which one do you want? And to have a high-performance team, we've got to have weekly conversations about my responsibilities, your responsibilities, what are we missing, what are we doing? And by the way, how are you, Right. Um, what's going on in your life? I mean, those are part of just relationships internally of an agency because ultimately it comes down to this. If we're not doing that, we're never going to gain trust. Mm-hmm. And, and trust is everything. I mean, if I don't trust you for whatever reason, misunderstanding, or I'm just, you know, whatever it may be, um, I'm going to be very unlikely to be able to share some of these experiences with you. And I think that is too often missed in agencies. I love the dishwasher analogy. That's perfect. It was absolutely perfect. And I will use that forever now. That that was a good one. You know, the other thing that I think I've seen a lot of trends around is the teams that perform the best are comprised of people who grew up on teams. Right? Mm-hmm. I played Little League my whole life. I played all baseball all the way through college yep. the first time. And um you know, I, I'm, I'm always used to that. And I look back to the last agency that I was in and I had, I was two, had two partners. One of them, you know, was my father and the other one was a, a third party. And there was constant friction, constant, because mm-hmm. I come from a place where I'm used to being able to say whatever I think and collaborate with people. Yeah. And, you know, just look, I'm a direct person. I'm going to put it out on the table. To me, the easiest way to get from point A to point B is to go from point A to point B. I'm not going around the block to get next door. If I have an issue, I'm going to table it. We're going to work through it and move on. And I'm really good about not bringing it up anymore once we've we've worked past it, unless it continues to be an issue. Well, the other person that was involved had no no team experience, Mm -hmm. never had to be on teams growing up, didn't understand it sometimes. You got to pick up the slack when the third baseman boots a ground ball and the other team goes ahead. Everybody else has to pick that person up. And so I wasn't viewed as collaborative. I was viewed as being an intruder. And that's toxic, man. Mm -hmm. You can't run an organization that way and not be open to listening to other people's perspective. And what really one of the things that really pushed me over the edge, there were a few, but one of them that really pushed me over the edge was we were making a move from having no agency management system to having an agency management system. And they ended up ultimately wanting to, to go to apply to Epic. But it got back to me from another team member that this partner said, do not say anything at all to David about us doing this system, any of the calls or anything, because I don't feel like having to hear his questions. (laughs) Okay. So now we're going to go get an agency management system that we knew was going to have an integration with Salesforce or a CRM coming up based on what research we had done. And you're not even going to include the sales function in that process. Now you're going to expect me to enter information in 
to generate a court forms. You're going to want me to put leads and suspects and prospects and all of that into the system, but I get zero input on what that system is, what it's going to look like, or what it would need to do to make it much easier for me to go out and generate new business. That's horrible. Doesn't sound like a very toxic situation. No, not at all. I think think your point about teams is huge, though, because people who've grown up playing sports and everything, they're coaching. Everybody on our team right now grew up in team sports. Right. I think you have to. I think it's just a good thing in general for for kids as they're growing up. It's kind of sidetrack a little bit to do. I mean, it like you learn. I learned so much from being from playing sports as a kid. I do remember one of the one thing that stuck out um, stuck out in my head in high school was my coach. I was a point guard, and it's like the quarterback of, of basketball. And you ha- you know you, you're a leader. You want to do things a certain way, but I wasn't doing something the way you wanted to. And Dude, I, I would break your ankles right I, now. You know, oh my god. I'm not even gonna go there. It's 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 so it's so foul that you would even say something like that. All right. Well, I can tell you right now that my first step is still way faster than you would ever think it was. So when you feel froggy, jump. <laughs> okay. All right. Any anytime, any place. Like uh, we're gonna do that one on video. All right. Yeah. I write this down. I'm excited for this. Right. Um, you don't even know if I'm going right or left because I'm ambidextrous. I can get you with either hand. So what's funny is, is that you don't know that I also am in terms of basketball because I broke my right wrist my junior year and had to do everything left-handed for an extended period of time. So I can shoot just as good lefty as I can ready, but we'll save that for a for No, a I'm going to give you a real quick timeout because this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, exact same thing happened to me. Yeah. Exact same thing. Mm-hmm. I literally have a baseball glove with a web in the middle because – I went up, it was my sophomore year. I'll never forget this. I went up, I had a breakaway. I went up to dunk and a guy took my legs out from under me from behind. I ended up catching just at the tips of my fingers on the rim. It ripped every single ligament in my left wrist and I broke my left ankle. And so my junior and senior years, I actually pitched more Mm right-handed than I did left-handed. But I finally got a glove that had a web in the middle. So depending on which batter was coming up, I just kept both arms loose and I'd switch right in the middle. I saw a dude get undercut like that dunking, and he was like one of the best players in the county, came down, broke both of his wrists, was done. It just basically kind of ruined his career. But yeah, Yeah, so I started – so I I, I would – I. I would show up to practice every day and I had like a full arm cast, like the, like the L. So I couldn't really do too much of anything. So I would just sit there. Tell me you had that post that held it up like this. Dude. No, po- no post like attached to my, <laughs> yeah, no, no post. It was just this huge blue clunky cast, but I would sit over there on the side baskets, just shooting lefties all day. And I would jump in on the shooting drills. And I remember being at the, uh, <laughs> at the basket with, you know, three other kids on the team and it was essentially like kind of like an around the world type of drill for those of you who, you know, know basketball or whatever, but we're just taking a bunch of jumpers. And I, I, I made more lefty than, than these guys made with the right hand coach was pissed, made everybody run suicides. But I, I remember one of the things that stuck out was um, not, not from that particular time period, but he just said, be coachable. Cause one, I remember one day I was not, I was, I was, I was kind of fighting him on, on things. As I, like I said, you want, you're the leader, you want to, you know, do things your way. And obviously, you know, as a high school kid, you think, you know, everything, but um, yeah, it, it, that, that stuck out to me. And I think people who have, you know, those type of qualities that are successful, you know, kind of grew up in, in, in a sports environment or on a team of some sort, not necessarily sports, but a, a team environment. No, I think being coachable is paramount to anything, man. Right. I mean, it, it, it is. And even when we're dealing with people inside Killing Commercial, uh, they'll say, how would you handle this? And I would, I'll give them the answer and they'll come back and say, but what about, 
this or that or the other. I'm like, listen, you paid me a lot of money to come in here and mm-hmm. give you my advice. Are you going to take it? Like, right. what, what's the point? If you're not going to listen to me and everything's going to be an argument, maybe, maybe it wasn't a good decision mm-hmm. for you to engage with us. And so to, to that point, I think that's anything in life, man, we need to be coachable with our kids. We need to be coachable sure. with our wives. We need to be coachable at work or, or whatever, you know, and, Men and women are different. You know, we, we, we talked about relationships with our spouses and stuff coming out of the box. But, you know, I, I went, when I was younger, I remember very, you know, vividly. I don't, I don't remember who it was. It may have been um, Gary Smalley. But it was, it was one, of the, one of the preachers that deals with uh, newly married couples and all of that. And it was around taking the trash out, right? That trash, I, I could play reverse Jenga with the trash. Like I'll get that, like I'll take it to a one piece of paper and slide it in to keep it from cresting over the top and never take it out. And my wife would get upset with me because I wasn't taking the trash out, right? Yeah. Well, all she had to do was say, David, would you take the trash out? But instead she was bottling it up and getting irritated. And she wanted me to recognize that's something she wanted me to do that would help her when really – all she had to do was say it. So what I got out of that was, okay, maybe I need to pay more attention to the trash because that's important to her. And what she said, what she would do would be come back and say, Hey, don't forget to take the trash out on your way out to work today or whatever else. Problem solved. How simple was that? Mm -hmm. That's that's 99% of the crap we fight about period. It doesn't matter if it's at work, if it's at school, if it's in the real world, if it's communication, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. You're saying that, David, it just strikes me. One of the things, we, especially in our leadership programs, sales leaders and agency leaders, is this concept of don't, never be mad alone. Um, and that happens a lot because you'll have a leader, again, this is back to the tug of war. Why isn't he or she doing that? Or, you know, why? Are, you know, I don't understand that. Well, they're mad alone. The other person has no idea. They're not mad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're yeah. like, hey, life's good. What are you talking about? And this person and that, just, that only perpetuates the problem, right? Because then that person gets madder and madder well, and madder. It builds and builds and builds. And eventually what? It comes out in this like fist of fury of like, blah, blah, blah. And the person go, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so it's just the idea is that, hey, if you're upset about something, if you're you know, conflicted or whatever and have something on your agency team, let's be proactive in the communication. Just mention it. You know, it may not always be easy, but it's a lot better than waiting. Right. And what's going to happen with, with the end game. So as you were saying that, I'm just thinking of things that my wife's probably mad at me right now about. So I hear that. <laughs> There's got to be something. I'm on a hot streak, man. I'm good for right now. It's been a really good week for me. I've been <laughs> not in the doghouse at one time. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. That may be the best thing you've ever said. It's been a really good saw, week. I wish me. there would have been video footage of me standing on an unsafe ladder, putting up Christmas lights to assure that. Jeez. No. <laughs> Well, what's some advice, Brent? Give them, give them a nugget. I know you got a lot of them. You know, if there was one thing, if I'm a new producer or I'm a producer that's struggling, what's one thing that I can do and put in my arsenal that's going to get me back on track if I implement that today? Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna, again, there's a lot of different strategies, and I mean, you, you know, you guys have some great stuff of what you're doing, but I'm just thinking back of the last. Um, camp that we just did. We had about 50 some producers in a, a 12 session virtual program. And if I had to summarize probably the thing that most of them talked about, of what are you really going to do? Again, simplistic is be proactive in your stupid calendar. 
Okay. And, and, and you know, it, it really is. It's just being proactive. We tell you, there's not time management or situation management. And the truth of it is, is that most producers are basically part-time producers that, that their job, we would say, what's the definition of a producer? One who produces. Yet, if you look at actually what they're doing throughout the week, maybe some of it is certainly on them. Some of it could be the culture they're in, whatever it may be, is that they're maybe spending not 80% of their week doing sales pipeline, uh, relationship management proactively. We talk about continuations at Sitkins. They're spending maybe 50, 40, maybe 20% if you actually look at it. And they wonder, why am I not getting the results? Well, the first thing you're doing is you're not being proactive with where you're spending the only diminishing asset you have, your time. Um, you know, and Dave, we talked about the very beginning of this, about our kids and how fast it goes. Same thing with producers. Time goes pretty quick. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I believe is you got to value your time. And something I forgot where this came from, but I love it. It was John Maxwell. I do a lot of John Maxwell stuff. I've been through some training programs with him. He said this, if, if you don't place a high value on yourself, rest assured the world is not going to raise the price. And I, I think too often producers don't really value. And we did one more thing on that. We have in a, uh, one of our elite programs. We went through and talked about this year, the year of COVID, all the virtual stuff. What's the most you made per hour this year? You know, just thinking about their largest account. And, you know, we had all these different things and it was all over the map. I mean, it was like 2,500 to 7,500. And the very last person, um, a veteran producer in California said, well, I hate to say this, but I made $30,000 an hour on one of these accounts. And everyone's like, what's, what's going on? And she said, well, the bottom line is I truly value my time. She goes, now, yes, I've established a relationship, but most producers, again, are just reactive of what they do saying here, back to clarity, here's what I want. Not because of what David or Brent or Kyle said, what do you want? And begin to design your future with that model in mind and let other people sabotage it. So my advice, a long answer is just value yourself and value your time. It's too often missed. I'm going to piggyback on that. There's a dude that's on LinkedIn, Brian Burns. I don't know if you follow him or not. He's a sales guy who has the Brutal Truth About Sales podcast. And his shtick is he does these little one to two minute LinkedIn videos where he's talking on his phone while he's walking around his neighborhood. And it's corny, but it works. Yeah. But he he had something on there um, I, I, on one of his videos that I watched a couple of weeks ago, right along those lines. He said, don't ever call a prospect. And, and I changed our script based on this. Don't ever call a prospect on a telemarketing call and say, hey, I know you weren't expecting your call, so I promise to be brief. He said, you need to put a value on your time, too, because you just completely devalued your time in that split second of a conversation. Instead, say, hey, look, I know you weren't expecting my call. I promise to be brief because, honestly, I've only got a minute to talk to you about this as well. That one little difference now lets that person know they're not 100% in control of the conversation, but you also, you know, have somewhere you need to be as quick as this is over too. And, you know, that one Mm -hmm. little nugget, it stuck with me because I, you know, I feel like I'm pretty good uh, when it comes to to sales and production or whatever else. I don't think that I'm ever going to be done learning doing it. And to hear, you know, to hear somebody say that and change that one little thing is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, back to what Kyle, you were saying. I mean, it's being coachable. I mean, I think it's the best thing. It's, I mean, you look at like successful producers, sex, successful anybody, they're going, what else is it? They're, they're just naturally curious. Mm-hmm. It's not an ego. It's just they 
Like why would my option of not growing is dying, right? Another cliche, but it's true. Like what's a question I didn't ask that I should be asking? What's one thing you've learned that I should learn from? What's been a failure that slowed you down and what did you learn from that? I mean, you get around people and you ask questions. It's just, it's incredible what you can pick up because you got that hunger for growth. But if you're complacent, you don't ask the questions, don't care enough. Agreed. So- I've, I've got one one more question. I know we're getting you know kind of close to time, but I mean, you so you took a leap to follow a passion of yours and, and do something that you really wanted to do. What's been the most rewarding aspect of that? Yeah, it has to be. I mean, the most rewarding aspect of anything, I, I suppose, it, whether it's producers or training or whatever. But the rewarding aspect is, is kind of what David said earlier. And I, I don't have you know again, I don't get feedback from everybody, you know, it's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. But I'll say the most rewarding thing is when, and I got an email, this has probably been six months ago, but when basically said I was going down one path and I feel like I've changed paths or improved my path and I'm going to a totally different place that I never would have been able to without what you said. Um, I mean, you know, you get those little, and you don't know these little micro things. They don't have to be all big things. But to me, I just want to be a light bulb guy. I want to be able to share some things just like you all do on this podcast that someone goes, you know what? I hadn't thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wasn't even aware of that because you can't make any changes and improvements in life without awareness. So to me, I guess my greatest reward that I've got is to be able to create awareness for people that wouldn't have been able to hear that if I didn't have a platform. And um, and that that's just a cool thing. And, and I, you know, part of it, too, this one last thing I'll add to that is I get to see the end of that to some degree, not say the end of it, but I mean, Roger's been doing it for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So I'll hear a lot of calls and things saying, you know, I went to a program 25 years ago, changed my life, you know, True. like, wow. And you start talking about them now and their grandkids and what they're doing. And, and, you know, he said this one thing that I'll never forget. And, you know, just like, again, just like on this podcast and what, what we all do is to help to inspire people for a change or improvement that, they simply may have not done if you didn't exist. That's a pretty cool reward. I agree. Agree, hundred percent. Well, listen, man, we are bumping on time. We could go for hours with you, and I'll definitely ask you to come back at some point because this is awesome conversation, and honestly inspires me to be better just by having it. So, why don't you give everybody the uh, quick and dirty on how they can get a hold of you? Because I'm sure people are going to want to reach out to you after they hear hear this combo. Well, hey, th- thanks again for the time. It's it's great, and I I just one thing I. Thinking back to at, at Jason's event, you know, you know, at BrainShare, be able to chat with you a little bit. I'm like, man, this is a guy that 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 he gets it. I just really enjoyed the conversation. It's just fun hanging out with other growth-minded people. So thank you for the time. Uh, as far as reaching us, obviously uh, at Sitkins Group, you just go to sitkins.com. I mentioned earlier that the thing that we're doing is an all-inclusive model. And so what we want to do is help agencies make it as easy and simple as possible to get sales, service, sales leadership, and agency leadership on the same page to transform together. So if you go to sitkins.com slash AIM, it's all inclusive model. You can learn more about that and what we're doing for agencies. We're excited. And I know it's been a challenging year for a lot of producers and agencies this year in a lot of different ways. Um, we really want, I, I just really feel this movement, this excitement back to the independent world and what's going to happen. And I know you guys are a big part of that. So thank you. And uh, again, thanks for the time today. It's been great. Absolutely. Our pleasure for sure, man. I'll catch you soon. Good luck with everything. And you know where to find me if you, if I can help you in any way. Absolutely. All right, brother. Take care, Brad. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the power producers podcast. 
You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com. <laughs>